I'm Andy Viano, a staff writer at the Flathead Beacon. Today is Monday, April 6th, and this is the Beacon's daily update on the coronavirus and its impact on the Flathead Valley. On today's show, we'll talk about kids, particularly the youngest ones who have been displaced not from school, but from their daycare during the COVID-19 outbreak. Child cares around the country have had to make incredibly difficult decisions in recent weeks, deciding whether or not it is safe to remain open despite the risks, whether or not to continue to charge tuition despite the financial consequences, and figuring out ways to provide what has been deemed an essential service with little direction on precisely how to do that. Before we get to that, though, a reminder that today's episode and all of the Beacon's free coverage in print and online is made possible by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. If you want to support our work or learn more, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Again, that's beaconeditorsclub.com. And thank you for your support. I'll have the latest information on COVID-19 in Montana in a few minutes, but until then, let's talk childcare. My colleague Myers Reese wrote a terrific piece on the subject for last week's Beacon, and I'll link to that story in the show notes. And one of the people interviewed for that story was Colette Box, the director of the Discovery Developmental Center in Kalispell. Discovery is a nonprofit daycare provider that has been operating since 1992, offering care to dozens of families at once and employing a staff of 14. But in the last few weeks, the doors have been closed. And Colette joined me this morning to talk about what that's been like and what the future might hold. We begin by going backwards, though, to the night of Sunday, March 15th. That's when Governor Steve Bullock made the last-minute announcement that schools would be closed immediately and for the next two weeks without offering any guidance to child care providers like Colette. We were working at home and, you know, just having your basic weekend Sunday. And I had staff start texting me between five and seven, letting me know that the governor had just shut the schools down starting on Monday and what was our plan going to be. Um, So we did open up on Monday with about half staff and about, you know, half kids just to kind of group and figure out what we were going to do. By Friday of that week, I just decided that we didn't have enough staff. There was so much unknown out there. Spring break was the following week, and we had already had a lot of families that were not going to be needing care that week anyways. uh, We just decided to, at that point in time, close for that week. By Monday of that spring break week, I believe, is when the governor shut the schools down for another additional two weeks. We decided that that we were just going to follow school closings, always believing that if the schools weren't safe for our kiddos in the community, then childcare was even more so likely to be a place of concern. Just you can't social distance preschoolers very well, just for their very own beings and their well, their well-being. They need physical contact. And uh, so at that point in time, we decided to just shut down until the governor opened up the schools. 
And I'm sorry here if you hear my uh, my baby I, cooing I in the background. Yeah. That, yes, I do. <laughs> we ha we have our own daycare that is that yeah. is shut down at the moment. So I hear a little person. So I, and I I read in Myers's story that as part of the decision that you had to make, it, it meant at least temporarily laying off the 14 people who work for you. I, I am sure those were extremely difficult conversations. What what were those conversations like and what was the response of, of your staff when you told them of, of the decision that felt like you kind of had to make? There wasn't any pushback there. I think that there was relief that a decision had been made because I think that people were, you know, getting more and more nervous about coming to work and the option of at least getting some money through unemployment was a relief of sorts and no one anticipated that it was going to be longer than two or three weeks. So I think that having the backup of unemployment was at least of some comfort. Laying off staff, though, did not alleviate the financial crunch the center was under. Discovery made the decision to not charge families tuition during the closure, something not all child carers were able to do, but that meant they could not pay their operating expenses for more than about a month before depleting what is a modest reserve. But while the center has been closed, Colette has been looking for alternate ways to secure funding. The first two weeks that we were closed following the whole CARES Act um, information, I was on a lot of webinars through the Montana Nonprofit Association and through the chamber trying to just get my head around all of the various potential programs that would help small businesses. Um, I can say that it's not in my wheelhouse to do that. I'm an early childhood professional. Um, so there was a lot of learning and I was very grateful to have the opportunity to get that information and to kind of digest it. And as things started becoming more consistent. There was a lot of information floating around there, but it finally started gelling that we were able to make a decision, you know, our board of directors and myself that applying for some of this um, disaster funding, the $10,000 emergency fund that could cover payroll and mortgage utility expenses, and then also moving forward with the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, which we are going to be completing also. Initially, there was little governmental direction for child care facilities, but last week the governor's office clarified that child care is an essential service and unaffected by the mandatory closures now in place. But the announcement also acknowledged that for many child care facilities, meeting other guidelines in order to stay open is not possible. Rules for social distancing are difficult to enforce among toddlers, and directives limiting the size of gathering would render many child cares too large to comply. So in the end of the day, most of the decisions, whether or not to close, whether or not to lay off employees, and whether or not to continue to charge tuition, were left up to the individual operators. You know, my concern right now is that I, I have, you know, a lot of staff who aren't ready to be in with young children. There would have to be some sort of hazard pay to get people in here. I have um, about half of my staff is actually over the age of 60, so is, you know, being advised to stay shelter in place. Um, I also have staff with children at home who 
aren't able to come to work. So it became also, um, you know, for our decision to stay closed, it became, you know, an option of how many staff do I actually have to even bring kids into the building and, um, and whether even that's still a good idea. Like I say, it's really hard to social distance children. If it, you know, this lasts another month or so, you know, who knows what May will bring, you know, maybe it will feel a little bit more normal this whole situation, God forbid. Beyond concern for staff and management of the facility, child cares are also having to wrestle with the concerns of their clients, the children and families who rely on them. In Colette's case, she says her families have been understanding, or at least understanding enough to not share their challenges with her. You know, I have not gotten any feedback and or pushback from our families about being closed. Um, I think that there is mostly gratitude that we took those steps and that families are figuring out ways. Like I said, I spent the last two weeks really into financing and stuff. And so I'm hoping to start, you know, reaching out more to families now that this looks like it's going to probably last through the end of April to see how they're doing. You know, the last two weeks, I just was really just focused on trying to digest how I was going to manage the finance piece of it. So now I'm hopefully going to be able to do the more fun stuff of my job, which is actually talking to people as opposed to listening to webinars. But we'll see. For more information on Discovery Developmental Center, you can visit their website at ddckids.org. And my thanks to Colette Box for joining the show today. You can learn more about the governor's recent directive classifying child cares as an essential business right now by visiting flatheadbeacon.com. Now here's the latest on COVID-19 in Montana as of 5 p.m. on Monday, April 6th. Montana crossed a dark threshold on Monday, eclipsing 300 confirmed cases of coronavirus statewide. There are now 319 cases in Montana, 57 more than there were at the end of the day on Friday. Flathead County also saw a rise over the weekend and now has 31 total, the third most cases of any county. There were just 20 confirmed positives in Flathead County before the weekend. On Sunday, the city of Whitefish passed an emergency ordinance prohibiting hotels and short-term rentals from accepting reservations through April 30th, except for essential personnel. Mayor John Mulfeld sent a letter urging properties to do the same last week, but this weekend's measure formalizes that action and allows the city to revoke a property's business license if they do not comply. Mulfeld estimated that 70% of lodging and short-term rental property owners complied with his request last week. Recent data compiled by the Montana Free Press suggested that March rental revenue in Whitefish was up a whopping 92% from the same month last year. Elsewhere, the Associated Press reported on Monday that the Department of Public Health and Human Services is concerned about a steep drop in the number of calls to its child abuse and neglect hotline in the weeks since schools were closed in Montana. The hotline, which is 866-820-5437, has received an average of 425 calls per week since March 17th, a 45% drop from the week prior to the closures. 
Sheila Hogan, the DPHHS director, said the drop was troubling because teachers and school staff are mandatory reporters of child abuse and are significant contributors to the state's hotline. If you know a child in danger, please call the hotline at 866-820-5437. For more information on these and other stories, visit flatheadbeacon.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening.